Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to the Andy Good Suite, everyone. I'm here and I'm joined by a man that I now call a friend. It's not often you make friends with referees, but I'm delighted to be joined by, some people don't know this, but an ex-international rugby player alongside a current international referee, my good friend, Andrew Brace, aka Bracey. How are you, mate? Are you well? Are you good on, good. Yeah, good to be on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm very good. Great to have you on. You're looking sharp. You must be going out for a date night tonight, are you? Or? Well, I haven't been back for the last couple of weeks since we got engaged. So, um, so she's putting the pressure on me to actually have a night out. Yeah. So. Lovely, lovely. We'll come on to that later. Firstly, congratulations, but I will get on to that later on. Let's go back. Let's rewind because I mentioned that you played international rugby. Not many people know about it. I certainly know about it because we had a night out in Marseille after the European finals, didn't we? And that's all you talked about, you being a <laughs> tier one international rugby player as well as an international referee. Let's talk about your rugby career to start off with. You used to be a bit of a nine, a bit of a player back in the day. How, how was that for you? I was a terrible player, as, as most referees will tell you. They, uh, yeah, gone over to the dark sides. But yeah, no, look, I, I never, never thought I'd actually go into the referee, and I would have laughed at anybody who said I'd be going on the refereeing route when I when I moved to Ireland ten years ago. But yeah, it's just strange how one door shuts, another door opens. I landed on my feet coming over to Ireland, working with Munster Rugby, gave me the opportunity to work as a coach development officer, and then it was Johnny Lacey who was. Uh, who was my fellow colleague in the office. I think he was sick of me giving out about referees every Monday morning. So I said, put, put the whistle where your mouth is. And yeah, the rest is history, I guess. But no, look, I I, I just kind of lost the motivation to play Goody. I was like, it was obviously a big decision when I was only 24 at the time, but I kept getting setbacks. You know, I broke my elbow, leg, ankle. I mean, it was just those setbacks. And your background, uh, I've done a bit of research and one of your nicknames is United Nations. <laughs> Born and bred in different places to where you live now. You obviously spent a bit of time in England as well. Yeah. Just give us a quick synopsis on your early life. Originally, obviously brought up in Cardiff and then moved to, to England when I was 18 to do my sports science coaching degree in, in Plymouth, in Marjons. So I had a great three years in Plymouth there and then, yeah, moved over to Ireland. But my, my half of my family and my father's side are, are Belgian. So that's where I managed to... Uh, Somehow bluff my way into the Belgian national team. And, uh, <laughs> International rugby, mate. That's all that counts. <laughs> exactly. That's how you get in there. So, yeah, look, I, I managed to get my wonderful five caps for Belgium. Played over in Dubai in the Emirates All-Nations Cup and then played against uh, the UAE, Hong Kong, uh, Zimbabwe. The big teams. <laughs> we, uh, we won that competition and then, yeah, played in the European. It's like the second tier down from Six Nations. So, yeah. You know, you had the likes of Georgia, Romania, Portugal, Spain. Tough competition that, um, and it was that year when I was kind of like uh, only a couple of years with Belgium, and then yeah, moved over to the referee, and that kind of kicked off very quickly. And then had to 
had to make a decision what way to go, I guess. Because um, I was playing at national the national panel in the All-Ireland League here, the Old Crescent. Yeah, I obviously couldn't referee at the same level as playing. So they put me on this iPass system, which was an interprovincial assessment system. So it's kind of like where you go through the different provinces in Ireland and you do a couple of games there, assess, assessed in each of those provinces and then move on to the national panel then if you're good enough. And then I remember getting my first game and it was Leeds against Gala, I think, in the British and Irish Cup. And uh, I'd only been refing about four months and I was chasing shadows for the, for, for the full 80 minutes. I can tell you, I didn't know what was going on. And yeah, you learn you learn a lot from those games, don't you? Yeah, it was great. Moved on into the into the professional league then of the Pro 12 at the time. You were a scrum off, but you played in the back three for Belgium as well, didn't you? I did. I think they pushed me uh, more and more out through the positions from nine, ten when the language barrier was a problem, then moved over <laughs> to the centre wing and then finally on the bench. So Happens to us all, mate. <laughs> Someone like myself who I commentate on games and on the podcast, I'm looking at referees going, oh, what's he missed here? It must be easy. How hard was that transition for you to, A, become a referee, but then B, actually get to the level you've got to now and the understanding of it all? Because it's... It's a brutal job and it's pretty tough. Yeah, for sure. It's not getting any easier, as I think we can all uh, agree on. But yeah, starting out, uh, like it was difficult, Goody, because I was, you know, you try and, because you played the game, you try and think that, well, everybody's going to be your mate. You're playing in All-Ireland League and most of the players would have known you. I knew a lot of the guys from, you know, my my work with Monster Rugby. So, but how wrong I was, you know, and that, that kind of goes out the window. You're just there to do a job. And it was quite a lonely kind of place to be in at the start because obviously you're used to you know playing you're in that team environment after the game you know you're in the chain room with the lads or you know on a way day you're on the on the bus back and you're having the crack or as a referee you're getting into your car and you're, you're driving back down from the north back to Limerick four-hour drive and you're pondering whether the game went well or not and that was my biggest challenge I guess at the start where not knowing how I did in a game and you only have a couple of people you can bounce off who actually understand it obviously it was my coach at the time Dave McHugh, and then your, your close your close friends who are also refereeing, like Johnny Lacey, who was excellent to me, who got me into refing, and the guys who were in the office who were also refereeing. You had in Monster Rugby, had Ollie Hodges and Peter Fitzgibbon, and those guys, George Clancy, they they were all refereeing at the time. You you know you bounce off points of law or some crazy situations that may have happened in your game in your game that you could just trying to get answers to, and just so you don't repeat the same errors then going into the next game and. And that was the key for me is the more games under your belt, the better, you know, that was, that was where I was going to, if I was going to do this, I wanted to try and go all the way to the top. That was, it wasn't just kind of give it a go. And, you know, so it was as many games as I could Wednesday schools game, Saturday club game, try and get as many games under the belt, mud on the boots and take those learnings, work on takeaways and try and fix them in the next match. Let's talk about the build up to your first full program. Then obviously I know you did the big stuff in Ireland, but, in terms of URC, and it was probably Pro 14 when you first got a professional game, what was the build-up like for that for you? Because you must have refereed over 100 games building up to that point, and players are probably looking at you going, this is first game. Well, it was tough, you know, because it was my first game was Pro 12 at the time, was Cardiff Zebra. So being from Cardiff and yeah. refing Cardiff, uh, you know, I was there as a, as, as a kid when I was younger and watching a lot of the games. So it was like that that was tough you know just to put that aside you know but I didn't want it to be a distraction going into the game but I remember that first game I learned a lot like I did in the first BNI Cup game that I that I that I got so I think there was like 30 penalties in the game it was just so technical and it wasn't me you know I went out there to try and please 
my coach and my and the selectors and Ed Morrison at the time, who was head of Pro Pro Twelve, and rather than just actually going out and what I've what I've done like in the games, leading me into getting that first opportunity, and that's the reason why I was there. So don't change anything. And I think that's probably the best piece of advice that I ever received is just don't don't change anything that what you've done to date. I think when I went into that game, I, I tried to be over technical, and then I ended up being inconsistent because of it. And then obviously, you know, with experience comes time and then you get onto the international panel. Obviously, I know you're an assistant referee a fair bit as well, but your first international game, the build-up to that as well, must have been pretty nerve-wracking or was it just, it's another game? Yeah, well, England Barbarians, you'd remember the, the, that game well. Yeah, yeah. I did that, I think it was 2017, but it wasn't a capped international. And then I did, so my first international was England Samoa in Twickenham. It was just great, you know. I was, I, I, you didn't, you don't think you're ever going to get to that stage, you know. You want to, and as I said, when I started out, you, that's my goal to go all the way to the top. But you, then you, there's something in the back of your mind always questioning, you know, will it happen? And I put a lot of work in to get to that point, and I was just delighted to get that opportunity, and thankfully came through unscathed. And it's very rare now, but you come out of that game, nobody talking about you, and then, then great, and that's the, that's always a, a positive. So. That's the mantra that referees have, right? If you're not being spoken about by one set of fans or players or coaches or the other, then you've had a good game. There's been no decisions that have sort of decided which way the game or the flow of the game is going to go, right? Yeah, for sure. Look, you're you're never going to be perfect, Andy. I think we all we all know that in this game, it's just so grey and it's not black and white, and you can find so many different interpretations to decisions now, particularly with new directors and law, global law trials and you know, different laws between competitions and tournaments. Um, but yeah, it is like you want to get the, those big decisions right. That's what we all strive to to get right. It is something that I've, I feel is working for me in the last year or two is just around, I, I really strive that philosophy with my t- team now is we're going to get stuff wrong. It's not about being perfect, but it's about nailing those big decisions when they present themselves. And, and we've got to be ready to, to nail those big decisions when they do arrive. So you come off the pitch, you're like, oh, did I get that that moment right? Did I get that moment wrong? You, know, you look at the England-Argentina game lately, um, recently, that one that you talked about, whether it was knocked on or not. And you know, I nearly blew the whistle and thankfully I didn't. If I blew the whistle then and Argentina go the length, and that could be a massive talking point then if you know that's a high-impact decision to me then incorrectly blow up because I think I did it earlier in the game where I, I blew up incorrectly and it wasn't a knock-on so I learned probably the hard way then not really mate because Argentina beat us and if you'd have blown up <laughs> wrongly yeah, not a, not they wouldn't have scored the try yeah <laughs> you still think it's a knock-on anyway so. <laughs> no I don't I don't I actually didn't actually I don't think um yeah from all the replays the right thing to do that's a really hard thing isn't it you've got idiots like myself you've got England fans who you think it's a knock-on and then a lot of referees would blow up there how hard is it to to stay as level-headed as you can when you know you're going to get pelters from some fans because in a stadium under that spotlight, England fans would have thought that was a knock-on and why didn't he blow it up? And even if they've seen it on the big screen that or they're too pissed to see it properly on the big screen, yeah. d- does it affect you in a game, that the, the noises and the feedback that comes back? Yeah, you just try and be as level-headed as possible in that moment, don't you? You know, if once it's happened, you don't want to be thinking or guessing because then that's always going to come back and bite you in, in, in the ass. So I can't remember what referee it was who said it to me. You don't want to be thinking, you want to be knowing. So, you know, in that moment, there, let it play out. The problem is there, Andy, like luckily it leads to a try and I can check it within protocol. If he gets tackled short of the line and then we end up going through four or five phases plus, then I can't check it if it leads to a try. And then 
you, you know, you're sitting on your hands then so uncomfortable because you know, potentially you might've got that decision wrong. So that's, that's where it really sits uncomfortably for us sometimes. Um, I had it recently, Bath, Harlequins, and it happens a lot in those tackle situations where does it, does it come off the hand or not? I had it again, Munster Ulster, come off the hand or not, and then they go 40 meters up the field because it's a turnover. And you need to be in that like straight away in the moment, knock on there anybody to put it out there to the team for them to quickly come back. Yes, they might have a different view and straight away, yeah, give me the knock on. But I think that comes down to, you know, working hard yourself to put yourself in the best position to make the best decision. Otherwise, you'll end up missing that. So, And that big thing about team, it is a team thing. I know all eyes are on you as the referee and the supposed sole arbiter of what's gone on in the game. But it is a four, five person team, isn't it? With the the third referee or what do they call the one that just gets his tracksuit off if you pull a calf? <laughs> That one as well. official. There it is, yeah. Um, and with that, you mentioned protocol as well, and there was the big thing about Owen Farrell the other week with Carl Dixon and yeah, the protocol of that. World Rugby have actually come away and said they want to speed the game up, which is great. Mm-hmm. But I'm a big believer in you've got the technology, you've got the TMOs, you've got a team of officials. Sometimes you need to take the time to make the right decision. How does that sit with you? Like on a knock-on, are you allowed to go to the TMO? Just check that for me. Or is it a relationship that you're allowed to have where a, a TMO can come in and go, that was actually a knock-on and you should blow up? See, that's the, that's the problem, isn't it? You know, we, we want those decisions to be corrected because you don't want to be the talking point around that. But then at the same time, we need to protect the, the protocol as well for the integrity of the game. We can't be going up to the TMO to check absolutely everything and anything. I remember my England-France game at the end of the game, the second one, the one that actually went well this time. <laughs> we'll come on to that. <laughs> the end of the, the match, there was a Ben Earls holding penalty I gave. Elbows on the floor, yeah, I remember it. Yeah, and it was elbows on the floor, the clear off feet penalty, and I, and I reversed the decision. Yeah. And I shouldn't have done that because I looked at the screen and I remember it being right in front of the French dugout and they were all going apoplectic and I'm looking at the screen and I clearly got that wrong and I reversed it and I took a rap on the knuckles for it because it's clearly outside protocol. So if he's going to, change every single decision or breakdown well where do we draw the line um, yeah and that's that's the key you know you've got the little knock-ons where we've kind of revised the the, the protocol is around this window of opportunity so if there's a, a knock-on that i've given and i set up a scrum and it's clearly been knocked on by the other team first then a tmo can come in within that window of opportunity and say no andy there was a knock-on first against england there not france first so you don't want it happening quite often, but you, you see it happening more regularly now where a TMO can quickly come in and correct that scrum restart or line out restart. Or, you know, I can't say live play to my TMO, Joy, was that was that a knock-on? Because that's outside protocol. She can't come in to, to correct a knock-on live. You can only do that when it, when it leads to a try. I understand that. And my question, but my question on that is, going back to your decision, England against France, with the Ben Earl one, when you did reverse the penalty, and I, I put it out there, I think it was brilliant what you did because you've seen the big screen. You get a rap on the knuckles for going outside protocol. So is the protocol wrong, effectively? Or is there tweaks that we need to make to it? Yeah, I guess it's, I think the tweaks we've made now has been great. You know, you have that window of opportunity, as I said, to correct certain things. But I think we've just got to be better to get that live on field and, and just accept that there will be, you know, breakdown decisions are so, yeah. they're so um, gray and complex that you can end up giving a decision one way or the other a lot of the time. So if we start going down that road, Andy, then then we're probably going down a road of no return because then the TMO will be ref and everything. So I think the, the point on that one was, 
it was at the end of the game and it was a, a massive decision for me because, you know, obviously everything that happened in the England-France game before that and not coming out at the right end and, and then, you know, your feeling now is like close this game out now, close this game out and and then if England kicked to the corner, we're back to square one again and they score off that and England win the game and I'm the talking point again. So I did that deliberately because I didn't want to be the talking boy. I want to get a big decision right. But a big decision at the end of the game in the 78th minute is it, it's still the same at the second minute of the game, but I guess you you can't be doing that for eighty minutes because you're, you're throwing the protocol out the window. Then I guess um, you know I don't want to be stopping the game every single moment I get a decision wrong, or you know you put a chip in a in a in a ball to show that every time there's a forward pass, do we want another fifty scrums in the game then? Because that's what's going to happen. Mate, when I played, the, the more stop-start it was, the better, because I could breathe for a bit. But, uh, <laughs> we mentioned it a few times that France game, England France game. It's not funny and it is funny because you can mention it and you can look back on it now. First and foremost, obviously, let's, let's just talk through the scenario of what happened and how it happened. And then we'll get on to what happened afterwards, which was the, the bad part about it all, obviously. And yeah. the thing that gets the most airtime and rightly so for, for how bad things can get. Well, first and foremost, like I came off the game and I thought we did swimmingly well. You know, you, do, you don't. And this is this is what happens in a lot of a lot of games. Now you come off and you there's certain things you don't. You know, you don't know about. So in this moment, they, I think it was what, 78, 76 minutes in, and there's a there's a little knock on at the base of the rock from uh, Billy Bunapola, and, and then it goes through one more phase, and then I end up awarding a penalty, and then Farrell kicks the corner, and then um, England score off that, and we end up going to extra time, and I, I bring mm-hmm. the whole house of cards down on top of myself because, um, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't perform well that day and, and I hey can, we won we, I'm alright with it mate we won <laughs> but I can look back at it now and it's, it's been very cathartic as well for me and you know I can move on from this now you know the second England-France game that I did and in that second Six Nations game it was, it was great to get that opportunity again only two months on from that Autumn Nations Cup final but yeah look we, we missed the knock on of the base of the rock and we don't get it on field and it, and it goes back to the protocol then again Andy like it you know, that big moment, big decision, you want to get that. But Ben, ben Whitehouse was in the truck at the, at the, at the time and, and he took a lot of criticism and, and wrongly so because you can't come in for it. So it's not his fault. You know, I should have got it on field. And yeah. and it probably kick-started a lot of what we talked about recently just around the protocol then as well. Of You know, if that's a World Cup final, you don't want to be remembered for that. And yeah, it moved, it, it went into, it led into extra time and, there was a lot of decisions that heavily went against France wrongly. Uh, and I wasn't consistent. You know, what I did in the first kind of 60 minutes of that game wasn't consistent with what I did in the back end of the game. So, Yeah, definitely. Now, the knock-on effect of, of the, the error that was made, and, you know, I still believe that Ben Whitehouse should have come in and said it's a knock-on, mate, um, whether it's outside of protocol or not, at such a key moment. But... The knock-on effect of what happened, you know, the social media abuse that comes out, and, and my big thing around social media abuse is that the, the social media companies need to sort of regulate it so that people are accountable. How hard is that for you as a as a referee, and how hard was that for you? You're getting pelters from France and some horrible things said to you and the family. Incredibly tough. Is it something that you thought, actually, is this fucking job worth it or not? Yeah, look, it was, I'm not going to lie, it was a tough year. You know, I lost my dad and after the elation of my, of getting the Six Nations, my dad had organised uh, for the whole family to come over and then three weeks later he, he passes and then, 
you're in two minds of like, what do I do here? Your whole world's turned upside down. Do you ref the game? What would he want? And when I eventually kind of came to terms with it, well, you don't come to terms with it, I guess, but three weeks on, it's still raw and, and my family wanted me to do the game. They, that's what he would have wanted you to, to have done. And I did the game and my dad was my best friend. And they're like, you know, he's like, you know, I, I lent on him a lot around my communication style. Like when I started out refing, I was probably trying to be somebody that I wasn't. You know, I wasn't natural, as I said. My communication, I was quite aggressive. You know, now I'm just, I try to speak to players in the in the way that I would like to be spoken to myself. You know, just around that communication. My dad was teacher, ex-teacher, chief executive of the teaching council for Wales. So he was big around that communication style. And he, and he said to me, he was like, you're not you're not yourself when, you know, in certain scenarios and I bite back to players and then you just have confrontation and um, yeah, kind of getting back onto the whole kind of aftermath of what happened in the, in the England France game, I guess that, as I said, dad was so close to me and I, I, I put various posts out, you know, it was, it was a bidretry at the time and what he had achieved. He did a lot of work with UNESCO and, and um, so I put this post out and I, I you know, me and I like, could follow me. I had a really post stuff Um but I put this obligatory out on my father, and and that was the, the kind of recent post after the England France game that I yeah. that I posted, and they they jumped on the back of that, and and it was hard, you know, you know, like comments you get, and you know we can all take criticism as referees. We're in the wrong job if we can't, but it's when it crosses that line, then and they, you know, they find your family and your sister and and your mother and my, 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 my partner at the time and send them direct death threats and saying, we'll find you and hope you'll die. And, and it's tough, you know, cause you take that personally then. And look, I'm not, as you've seen recently, I'm not the only person to have, I can, I can t- categorically tell you that every referee would have experienced certain abuse, um, across, ac- across the way, along the way, I think, you know, it is getting, um, worse. You know, there's no regulation on social media, as you said. So whatever you post now, you without any repercussions and people get so emotional after around the game. And I think like, everybody's entitled to an opinion, but when it crosses that line, they just got to be very careful of what get, what game we, we, we want to, or what we want our game to become because it could be ended up going down a road of no return otherwise. Yeah, it's awful. And there's a very big difference between critiquing something and then just going on and being abusive for the sake of it. But uh, at any point when that was kicking off, and it's incredibly sad to hear a the f- about the passing of your father again, because I know you were very close, but also the knock-on effect it has to your family, your sister, and the abuse that they took for no reason except for some French idiots find them and they're related to you, and it, it's it's awful to hear. Did it make you ever think this is not worth the hassle? Yeah, for sure, you do question it. You know, it was it was a tough few months after that. You know, you do question everything. Is it worth it? Um, I had great support networks around me, you know, the IRFU were, were, were great and, you know, my closest friends here and referees and, you know, reaching out. I remember, you know, even players as well, Andy, like, you know, like a lot of the Irish monster players reaching out to me and, you know, Ugo Monia picking up the phone. I, I didn't know Ugo at the time and like, just, it was just nice to, to see that the rugby, like the rugby family kind of came together after that, you know, and I was just one example, as I said, you know, it's happened so many on so many occasions but it has been very cathartic for me because I, when I got the opportunity to do that England-France game the second time it was like great to, to have that release and, and that to have gone well you know and nobody talking about me this time to kind of put it behind you then what kind of sparked a lot of the media was a lot of talk that I'd been dropped uh, going into the European game the following week so I was doing Toulouse Exeter Exeter yeah you were moved moved not dropped 
Exactly. So <laughs> that's what. Oh, that's sorry, if I remember, you did a humdinger. Did you do Bristol Claremont? That that's, was a, and, and that's and that, that was it. Like the, he said, uh, it was your juice at the time. You know, he said, I think it's safer to, to kind of move you into this game, and I agreed. We went into do Bristol Claremont. It was just a really nice game. Two attacking DNA teams, and um, it was great. But I remember during the game, I'm not going to lie, I was got a little bit dizzy. You know, I was like just I was mentally exhausted. Yeah, it just showed that the anxiety and. You know, you're just like, oh, what happens if this goes back badly again? You know, if there's a decision against the French team and on the talking point again, it was, it was tough to go straight back into that European Cup competition because predominantly you do, as Irish officials, we do the English-French games for neutrality purposes. So, yeah, yeah, I was just praying that everything went well and, you know, you, you're not the talking point coming out of that game and thankfully it went well so yeah it did I remember sunny day it was tries galore so you weren't talked about mate that's a good thing right looking to step up your mother's day flowers the Home Depot has an idea let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers pots and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios walkways and gardens right now get Vigoro potting soil just $8.97 for strong healthy vibrant plants indoors and outside shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden give Vigoro Potting Soil, just eight ninety seven at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddle boards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Let's talk about the life of a referee then, because it is, you know, I've got to know a few of the referees, you know, I've spoken at length to you off, off sort of air and... It's a tough job, right? It is tough, you know. Now with the URC, where every weekend is an away game, because obviously with the South African teams now involved and, you know, the end of last season, I was down in South Africa three times in two months. So I did a double header straight after Europe, came back, went back down for the quarterfinal two weeks later, came back and then went back down for the final a week later. And then you're off to Dubai then for the camp fitness testing. I say fitness testing. <laughs> <laughs> Your favorite bit, right? Or everyone's favorite bit. Uh, yeah, the dreaded fitness test. Um, four days there in camp in Dubai and then straight on to Australia. So I did the free test on there in Australia, England, and then you're home, not knowing whether you're going to go again then in a few weeks for rugby championship. Yeah, those appointments came out and then, yeah, that was my off-season. Then I knew that month was off-season. Then I went back down to Australia then a month later for the Bledisloe. So, yeah, it's tough. I was Last year, I was 180 days away from home. It's a lot. It's half the year, isn't it? It's uh, out, of a, out of a hotel. It's just difficult and people see it as the glamour life, you know, they don't see the other side to it, um, you know, and it's a, it is a great life, traveling the world, you know, you're visiting some great countries, reffing the best teams in the world. And, but yeah, the week is like when we're, we're back here then in a domestic week, like leading into Europe this week or the last couple of months since the seasons began, our routine, or I like to be in routine as much as possible, but our routine would be like Monday, 
would be a recovery session. You're doing your reviews. So that would be kind of your day to, to get your review, your match review done and put it up on onto an AMS platform, which is our online system, which is where we get reviewed with our performance reviewer and selector. And then you wait back then to hear from your selector and your performance reviewer to have a call with them to go through the big ticket items in the game, the playlist. And, and you, you do every area of the game then, Andy, you know, so it's like speed, safety, space, line out more scrum, and, and then your overall summary. So you do a, a self-review on each of those areas of the game. Is that your speed or speed of the game? <laughs> well, my speed would be quite slow. So. No, no, I'm, I'm asking that for a reason. You must have seen the clip, right? <laughs> yeah, I did, yeah. Although it's great, the clip for, for our listeners that's gone out on social media, I'm trying to remember who was it. Was it an intercept, wasn't it? Yeah. Or, or a breakaway? Who, who were you chasing? England, South Africa. It was Arendelle, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it was, yeah. So the, the speed of you at the touchline, you didn't even look like you'd broken sweat, but you were keeping up with them. I'm trying to get my call up for Belgium again, you know? There you go. The speed's good. But yeah, I mean, sorry, carry on to, to your week. I just had to bring that up because I thought it was great. <laughs> Proper wheels. Yeah, no, I did get some slagging over that. Yeah, so yeah, do the whole review of that and then you you have a coaching call then with the reviewer and then go through the game and how, you, how they felt you went and... Um, you'd have your audit on your accuracy report then as well, Andy. So it's like a traffic light system where green is good penalty, accurate penalty, red is error, and then amber is like kind of a coaching query. So that's kind of how the review system would look. And then Tuesday, then we have a, as our main kind of training day. We here would be double session, which pitch, speed, speed, endurance, conditioning, and then you're into the gym and then do our training in the morning and then go through the weekend's kind of clips or the talking points from the game. Yeah, Wednesday would be a day off for me. And then Thursday, double session again. You could be traveling out then in the evening if you're a Friday game, Saturday back, Sunday recovery, or, you know, Friday travel, Saturday game, Sunday recovery. So I guess the modern referee has changed now, isn't it? The profile of a modern referee is, is completely different to where it was 20 years ago when you were playing. Exactly. Well, no, you're right. You're right. I retired six years ago, but yeah, I hear you. Okay. <laughs> Tried to stretch it out. But yeah, no, it's, uh, there's more responsibilities now. And, it, and I talked a lot when we went full-time five years ago around the, the difference between a professional referee and a high-performance environment. So you don't, I didn't want to be just a professional referee title. I wanted it to be a professional referee in a high-performance environment it's a, you know, and having all those resources in place. So your, your, your S&C structures you know, your nutritional support, your psych support now, um, your high performance coaching, you know, your mental skills, everything comes into it. You mentioned their nutrition. Do, do TM, I want to become a TMO. Do TMOs get nutritional packages as well? Or is it just <laughs> choice of biscuits in the in the van? Only for you, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to ask you first and foremost about the whole Razzie Erasmus video, which personally I found educating in terms of what he saw and what they see as a coaching team. And yeah, other people said it went too far. And, and obviously the, the abuse afterwards to the referee was just beyond belief from social media again. But what was your take on Razzie's video and how did you find it from a referee's perspective? I um, don't suppose you'd have learned anything yourself because you know all the laws, but did you find it entertaining, interesting, bang out of order? Which one was it? I just think when you're, when you're in a position of power, you hold a very strong voice. You know, only people listen to you, but they follow you, you know, and, and one would argue that it's the butterfly effect of what that then leads to, I guess. People see that as acceptable and is it okay for me to then do it? You know, can I then critique another performance or does that lead then to other coaches or other players, other referees to do the same and then we go down a, a road of no return? So I just, 
we're not saying like as referees, not saying protect me if we've had a bad performance. It's not about that. You know, we have clear channels. Um, the coaches, would, like all coaches, would feed in their feedback after a game, pre-game and post-game, uh, and you'd answer to those clips and and give your views on those clips. It has to be accountability to performance and. And, and there is, <laughs> I can tell you there is, whether that myth is out there, there is not. But yeah, I just think we've seen time and time again, obviously on the social media platforms of what this can lead to it can potentially be very harmful for the game. So Razzie, stay off the videos is what you're saying. The other one I want to talk to you about, and we had a bit of back and forth about this privately, is the scenario that you're involved in in the summer down in Australia with the Bledisloe Cup. My good friend now, Matthew Reynal as well, and what happened with Bernard Foley and, and how that transpired. Talk through that, because you were on the on the touch as assistant referee for that game. It must have been some intense atmosphere at the end, and getting in and out of the stadium was... <laughs> I laugh about it, I shouldn't laugh. It's probably brutal, was it, for Matthew Reynal and, and with how it all transpired, because, Addy, listen, they'd have won the blood is low. <laughs> no, it is. Goody, like, it, is re- it was really tough, um, because I know how he was feeling, you know, after the game, you know, the aftermath of... England, France, and and I'd been in that position myself, and I I'd like to think that I was able to offer my support to him during that week, and obviously we were there as a team, Pierre Brise and and Ben Whitehouse as well. So the four of us were able then to you know move on to to Eden Park the following week that I was doing, and the big thing for me, I just said like, like let's just go away and you know for a few days, you know don't look at social media, don't. Don't look at the media because if you want to go looking for it, you'll find stuff. And, um, and I think it was important for us just to kind of just kind of leave rugby aside for a, for a few couple of days and just let everything digest, I guess, because obviously the media world were, were kicking off again. And and it was important for us just to kind of like, get some clear headspace. You know, Matthew was in a tough, tough position there and, you know, go away, you know, play a bit of golf for a couple of days. Yeah, enjoy each other's company because we just put so much pressure on ourselves leading into that game. So did you take a bit of money off Matthew Reynal on the golf course as well and really kick him while he was down? Or? Well, it wouldn't be hard. It wouldn't be hard. <laughs> enough, it? Couldn't, couldn't hit snow off a rope. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. Yeah. But that, I mean, that decision, I actually, and I went on social media and said it myself, he got it right. Like he'd given him enough warning to say, mate, kick it out, stop wasting time kind of thing. And we even had Nick White on our podcast and I said, when Nick White actually put the ball out against Scotland, I said, mate, you listen to a referee for the first time in your life as an Australian. And I can throw away those comments. You can't as a ref. But personally, I thought you got the decision right. But obviously, the whole of Australia didn't. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tough one because, as you said, Matthew's asked him several occasions to, to play, you know, put time off and then went again and obviously didn't listen. And then, yeah, that followed through then to the, to the scrum. But I guess, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, the technical decisions versus is it the best decision for the game and, and I guess that's something that we we reviewed after the game is just around what's the best decision for the game. What are the referees like together and you mentioned then you travelled a bit uh, you're obviously as a team with a few various different people around different competitions you get to spend a lot of time sometimes probably more time than you want with other people as part of your team what do you get up to in terms of an international week compared to say a URC week or a Heineken Champions Cup weekend? Yes, I think it's important that you you make the most. Well, I try to make the most of the week or the two weeks you're away. You don't want to just be stuck in a hotel room and doing nothing for for two weeks. And you know, you could easily just get a laptop out and look at several clips or games and preparing for a match. I think you've got to enjoy the time. You know, you don't. You never know when it's gonna 
all be over. So I think you've got to enjoy these great places, incredible countries. You get the, the privilege to go and visit like the Bledisloe now just gone that, you know, there's a lot of keen golfers in the, in the group now, some, some bad ones, including myself, so get out on the golf course as much as possible. And yeah. And then obviously you try and keep on top of training as well. And then you don't be doing the dog on it for two weeks and then you end up going match day and the chasing shadows for the, for the 80. So it's that work-life balance, isn't it, I guess. And for that, you do obviously, you know, every game you referee, you're obviously doing a bit of prep yourself for looking at the teams you're going to referee. You don't want to go in with any preconceived ideas, but how, how much time do you spend sort of looking at the, the games previously that they've played in and looking for traits in how teams attack, defend, scrummage, driving line out, etc.? For me, it's about it's a, it's a big part around where you're going to be challenged in the game. Um, so I don't need to tell, you know, like Maturin, Alan, Pierre, Brisley in that game what a jumping across at a line-out is or what a side entry in a mall is. I need to know where we're going to be challenged in the game. Remember, like Steve Hansen talked to us uh, as a guest speaker in Dubai and there was one thing that really stood out for me is just the difference between that preconceived idea versus trends. Trends are factual. You know, you go in with a preconceived idea, it might not have happened, but... If it's factual over the course of, say, a series of games, well, then that is something that you might be challenged in. Or, you know, is it a tight head who's prone to collapse and overextending versus a loose head who's prone to hinging? Or, you know, it's not going in with the preconceived ideas, but where are you going to be challenged as a team? I think that's the level of detail a modern referee, as I talked about earlier on, has got to now. You know, that detail, all right, we're going to be challenged here in the red zone, close to the line, maul, team maul, like this team maul every time. So, we need to be tuned in. We need to stay connected. And the role clarity then as well, Andy, like, you know, so the front AR is looking at his side. I'm looking at my side of the back just so you can be as consistent as possible and accurate as possible. It's, you know, it's one area you look at that we spend a lot of time in now because it's the hardest area to referee. Yeah. There's so much going on. And that's really important, that whole role clarity. And do you have many WhatsApp groups where you're all talking about decisions or is there much cross-pollination around premiership referees chatting to you boys and i know that you're quite friendly with a few of them is that that regular contact or is it more so when you're in a camp or when you're sort of working together yeah we we're all very close it's, it's a really tight group goody it's probably the tightest it's ever been before just um uh, we all get on well and there's good honesty within the group you know like people and uh, referees are not uh, afraid now to speak up and whether it's in groups or, or in camps and meetings or in Zoom calls uh, without the fear of being shut down. So everybody, I think, there now is in a position where we can give their own view, which might not have been the same before, which is great. It's a great position to be in. A lot of the referees are uh, from different competitions. I'm, I'm, I'm close with in the Premiership, Luke, Luke and, and, and Matt and Super Rugby there with, with Ben O'Keefe and Brendan, Paul Williams. There's, there's a lot of, there's so many of the guys that we're all regularly in contact with each other now because you're, you're meeting regularly, you're working with each other more regularly. That's really, really key now leading into a Rugby World Cup, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And we'll come on to the Rugby World Cup in a second. From the group of referees and people that all work closely together, you must have some different characters. Who's, who's the biggest joker that likes to make the funnies? Matt Carley can be a, can be well out there. He's very dry humour. He's well able to bury you. <laughs> um, ben O'Keefe's good crack. There's a lot of guys, you know, different personalities, but Good group. I think that personality traits change as well, hasn't it? From what people's perception of referees used to be to, like you're seeing these younger referees now, like yourself, like Luke Pearce and Matt Kelly, these guys that you say, you know, they're not school teachers that 
rule with an iron fist either. They're they're actual human beings that are characters, and you know you can potentially sometimes have a bit of banter with them, which never used to be the case. Yeah, and it's, we're all very similar age group now as well, which is good. I mean that that transition of we lost a lot of experience, didn't we, in the last World Cup? A lot of referees retired. You know, Nigel, Jerome, Roman, Pascal, Johnny, George. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, referees, senior referees who um, who retired there. There's that transition group. A lot of us have worked together, come through junior World Cups together, worked together in European competitions. And you look at it, the junior World Cups, you know, I was there with Paul Williams, Craig Evans. So, you know, the, the guys who have kind of come along the journey with you, which is which is nice. So they, all the guys have, the, have similar stories as well. So You talk about the production line and a lot of younger referees now. Is there a production line and how, how do you recruit referees ultimately to get to your level you know is it a hard thing to do because it's under so much scrutiny yeah it is it is i think um it is going to be harder to to recruit but i think there's there's so much there's so much good being done as well you know within i'm just obviously talking with the the rfu now and the, and we've got our four development uh, managers in the, within the province you know who are looking at uh, the referees within the local associations and societies uh, and that's the system then they come through into the interprovincial assessment system into the national panel and and then Johnny's job is other part of the high performance coaches is talent identification. So, you know, that might be looking, going into local provinces in the academy. So guys who might not be offered a, a full-time contract or a development contract, that this might be another avenue for them. And I, I think there's similar systems in the other countries as well. How Carl kind of was identified, you know, in the, in the premiership, you know, he's still playing in the premiership, but then he was able to, to referee in the championship. So if he was... You know, coming to the end of his contract, playing Saturday, many can ref in the championship on a Sunday. It was a really nice kind of stepping stone. You know, our stepping stone is the All Ireland League. You know, you had the British and Irish Cup um, at the time, and now it's like the A into provincial games. You know, again, good quality games, and the standard is much, much higher now. You know, the the, the quality and competitive games that referees can again that, that experience too um, is massive so that will be the system and very similar in other countries as well yeah good stuff now there's been a bit of progress with the referees association as well hasn't there in terms of looking after you boys and being a voice and maybe being involved in some of the law changes as well and influence on that very important for you boys to have a voice and to and girls to have a voice in terms of world rugby and where you go and your jobs and we're seeing strikes in the UK galore. Please don't go on strikes. We don't have a game. But you know what I mean? That, that you need that voice for you guys and girls. Yeah, it's, it's great to finally announce uh, the Scooty. You know, it's a much-needed support pillar for us. You know, for the first time, we now have that collective voice and support mechanism for, for us as international referees and television uh, match officials across the game. So the establishment of Irmo, it will act as that you know, that key representative body for us within within World Rugby decision-making structures. So, and that's across a, a wide range of areas, you know, from law review, as you said, to, to individual performances, to physical, mental well-being, whilst upholding the core values that are central to the game's growth, you know, which is hugely important if we're going to promote, develop and inspire the, um, not only the current, but more importantly, the next generation of match officials. And definitely pay as well. Get the boys more pay. Boys and girls need more pay as referees. I, I can say that. You can't. That's where I need you as my agent. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's chat about uh, some of the things you've seen on the field. The best things you've seen on the field from a, from a refereeing perspective. Are you always sort of conscious that you can give players some banter? I know we've seen the Nigel Owens go down his route, Wayne Barnes a little bit. I had some interactions with Wayne Barnes that went 
pretty viral on social media basically because I was too fucked to to play the game and he's laughing at me but best things you've seen on the field you, you obviously enjoy it as well right yeah well, there's a couple of there's a couple of things uh, probably the most embarrassing moment at the start of my career was my first Heineken Cup game Wasps your, your club um, against Zebra where you can actually see it on YouTube a, a referee's worst nightmare where I actually uh, ended up getting pushed over by James Haskell but I didn't realise that when I went to break my fall the whistle had gone into the mud Oh, no. um, so I only need it a couple of minutes later when obviously I need the whistle and I go to blow for a penalty, blowing the pee out of it and nothing coming out and the players are running on 40 metres upfield yeah. and uh, and I'm trying to chase the, the players down. But the one that really stands out and it was another game that didn't go swimmingly well and I learned a lot from was thrown in the deep end in the semi-final Blarachelle Gloucester a number of years back and... Um, probably thrown in too too early you know probably wasn't ready semi-final challenge cup you know it was a big game and a valuable lesson I learned that day was to when accusing somebody of uh, simulation I don't know if you remember but Richard Hibbard what I thought I saw in the corner of my eye that he'd uh, been punched in the stones and I and he just dived on the floor so then in the next stoppage I said i Probably came out with the old Nigel Owens line, classic line of uh, don't appreciate you throwing yourself on the floor like that. It's the, it's the wrong game. Yeah. To his response going, mate, I've just been punching the stones. I was like, no, no, wrong game for that. Shut him down. And then <laughs> I came off the pitch to see the BT Sport to put this out there. Thought another game that had gone swimmingly well to know that I was trending on Twitter. Richard Hibbard's wife is is going ballistic at me. Because, yeah, I've accused him of simulation. He's actually been punched full-blown in the stands. Let's get the French. What do you expect? <laughs> so, good, good lesson there. Yeah, be careful what you say. Any funny stories from captains, pre-match sort of speeches, coin tosses? You must have some characters come in. Well, another first, one of my first games in the coin toss. And when I moved to Ireland, I didn't know what the heads or tails was on the, on the coin. <laughs> but that was an embarrassing moment. You know, when yeah. I went to flick the coin and... Uh, they called heads and they're looking at me going, and I'm like, <laughs> showing them the coin. You choose. I'm showing the coin. It's like, yeah, yeah. Just kept nodding. And they're looking at me going, yeah, so what's the decision here? So should have, should have taken the English coin, mate. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You, you know that one. You mentioned it before about simulation and kidology and all that stuff around players. I'm seeing a bit of that creeping into the game because ultimately it can't be self-policed anymore, can it? Around players punching and, sorting things out themselves that's gone from the game a long time ago but are you seeing that creeping in a bit more that the back chat that everyone is trying to referee the game I know you know you've said a few things when you've refereed and I think you said something to Owen Farrell the other week because he was a, a bit chopsy is that right I look back at that game now and the you know it was a Saracens too long game and I, I probably went back to my old self and I actually apologized to Owen just the way I spoke to him but Respect works both ways, you know. If we demand respect as referees, we have to show it as well. I think that's really, really important, you know. And I, I go back to what I said around my father, you know, in the communication side of things. But I remember doing a return, my first return game after COVID. It was Munster Leinster. It was the first time I ref in Munster uh, against Leinster, and um, I, I speak a lot to Paul O'Connell just around the shape of the game and you know, what to expect in a match and that. And on the day, you had obviously two of the best players in the world and Peter Manny and Johnny Sexton, who are the two players who know well how to push you yeah. um, in the right way. So um, I was like getting ready for that game. How are you going to speak to them? You know, not come across like I was in the past where quite overly aggressive and have that soft hands approach. And, um, and I remember one thing that stuck with me, you know, is like, a, you know, somebody like, 
Johnny Sexton or Piramani as example, you know, international players have to have their say. And, and I was very quick to shut down, you know, that whole, you know, listen to understand versus listen to reply. We're very quick to reply to people, you know, you know, actually understood what, what he said. And, and I think a lot of the time, you have a, have a valid point. You know, if Johnny Sexton's coming to you, a lot of time he's right. And uh, and it's important to, to listen. In his you eyes. And, and, and you look back at it afterwards and you're like, yeah, he was right there. You know, uh, I think if you shut down that that conversation, all you have then is confrontation. And that's that's only going to end in a, in a negative way for you as a referee, I think. But sometimes it has to be that way as well, though, doesn't it? Once it gets too much. It does. And I think that's where it's the fine line, right? This is, I didn't see it that way, you know, but it's not a conversation now and you move on, but you're still allowed to have that say, but in the right way, in the right manner. Last couple of things then, we've got the Six Nations coming up. You've got Wales, Scotland, right? I've got Scotland, Wales, yeah. I've been married for Scotland, Wales. So what are you going to do up in Edinburgh? Because, you know, you're going to spend a bit of time up there. You got any plans? Jim Hamilton's up there. Go out for a beer with him. Does he like me? I'm not sure if he does. He does, mate. He does. He's jealous of our relationship. That's what I think. Because he, he was very jealous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get in about lunchtime the, the day before, so it'd be you don't you don't really get too much time, Andy. To be honest, you know, because you're getting there, you you know, you might have a coaches meeting with the two teams, and then you you're out for dinner the night before the game, and then you're yeah early night, and then you're ready for the game. So yeah, in there do the job, and then you're out. Stay the night, stay at gyms. It'll show you a good time <laughs> up in Edinburgh. Uh, World Cup round the corner, obviously, later this year. You mentioned it earlier around you went to the 2019 World Cup, but as an assistant referee, you're obviously right in the mix for selection for the 2023 World Cup. And there's a number of you that are in the mix as well. How does that process work for our for our fans and listeners? And what are your hopes, expectations, etc.? So obviously we have our last window now coming up into Six Nations to perform and show uh, the management team of to try and put your hand up for, for that seat on to France. So I think selection is yeah towards the end of the season. So it's like post Six Nations will be the last window. And then yeah, we should know then leading into the Ju- uh, July warm-up games then what the, the panel will be. Yeah, and the World Cup's on then. You obviously sit under the Irish banner, don't you? Yeah. But you're Welsh with a bit of English in there and a bit of Belgian and obviously Irish. It's probably an easy question for you. World Cup final, Andrew Brace referee in it. That means Ireland can't make it, or Ireland are in the final and Ireland win it. What's your preference? Any team. I'm <laughs> <laughs> United Nations, as you said, so I'm mixed bag, so I cover all bases. Yeah, so you can't referee Ireland. So basically, what you're saying is you want to referee the World Cup final more than Ireland get to the World Cup final. <laughs> no, I would love to see Ireland get there, of course. <laughs> you're saying that because you live there, not because you're fully Irish. Yeah. We mentioned it earlier in the last couple of things uh, getting married. When, when's the wedding? Uh, no date set yet. I'll let her plan that. Okay, more importantly, fuck the wedding. When's the stag do and where is it? That's what <laughs> exactly. everyone wants to know. You're coming, mate. You're coming. <laughs> uh, and then, and lastly, obviously, I put it on social media, I think. Uh, I put it on our podcast, definitely. I loved it when you were refereeing the other week. And when you're saying use it, it was so pronounced that I had to record it and send it to you. And I got some stick back. <laughs> do the referees get give themselves a bit of banter around that? Is it Do you get stuck into each other for things you've done on the field? Well, they do, yeah. Thanks to you now, that's turned into a big uh, big hit. So, the lads and, <laughs> Sorry, mate. The lads and the family and back home, they don't, they, they don't let me live this down, you know. So it's like this turned into a, a bit of a drinking game now, you know. You had the buffalo, now it's it's turned into a, a use it call, so you have five seconds. So, so yeah, so cheers for that, Andy. I might just play it. I, I should just play it for our listeners, shouldn't I, really? <laughs> And use it! <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I did have a good laugh off that. 
Do they give you some stick to that? Because you've changed. Have you changed it now? Have you? You've gone a bit softer on it. Have you? I, I'm trying it now because that's in my bloody head. So. <laughs> Sorry, mate. Bring it back. I want to see. I want to see Scotland against Wales. I want to hear the big and use it. It'll be quality. It'll be quality. Oh, oh mate, appreciate you coming on and your openness and honesty. Obviously, wish you all the best for the Six Nations, and more importantly for the selection for the World Cup. It's been a pleasure having you on. Just keep shouting. Use it. <laughs> Thanks, Goody. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me.